I hope that you've been reading along with us as we've been studying the Gospel of John. I hope you spend some time in John chapter 9 this week, and I hope you're as excited about John 9 as I am today. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, He is, but others says, No, he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. And so when they said to him, well, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind, now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, how, how do, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? The man who was blind says, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and said, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we do know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed that if anyone should confess that Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind. Now I see. They said to him, What did he say to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be one of his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that man, we know that this man, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know from where he comes. The man answered, why that is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard of anyone to open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, and I like this, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment came into this world for those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him say these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thank you, church. Let's take a look at John chapter 9 this morning. It really is a bold question. Who sinned, this guy or his parents? How'd you like to be the guy? How'd you like to be the guy that's sitting there that all of a sudden is not just born blind, but now he is a walking, talking, theological conversation piece? Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents? I feel like the guy says, listen, I'm right here. I'm sitting right here. I can't see, but I can hear just fine. What is the cause of his blindness? Now, it is... A meaningful question, even if it is, I don't know, I, I think a little bit on the, on the rude side to be talking over him, about him, around him, about this difficulty that he has and then making this assumption that it's sin. But, but it is a meaningful question because it comes down to a question that all of us have wondered sometimes. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, maybe we should back that up a little bit. Why do bad things happen to any people? Because maybe one of the questions that we have in front of us is that maybe the bad things happen to people because they're not necessarily good people. Maybe in secret, they're, they're, they're not good people. Maybe that's the reason why this is happening, and so that's what comes back to this man's question. Why is he struggling with this hard thing? Why is he dealing with this hard thing? Maybe he's not a good person. Maybe it is his sin. Maybe it is the sin that is before him. Maybe, maybe it was his parents' sin. Now, this is complicated extra because this man was born blind, which makes you kind of wonder what kind of trouble was he getting into before he was born? Why is it that he is struggling with the things that he deals with? Maybe, maybe it is his parents. Susan's grandfather used to say to us when, when we were being mischievous or something, he says, listen, if you don't knock that off, your children are going to be born naked. Maybe it was his parents' fault that, that he had been born blind, and this is the difficulty that it was facing him. Now, Again, I, I think it's kind of a bold question to ask. I think there's a little bit of rudeness to this. In addition to that, you got to know that this guy has been wondering that same question his entire life. What did I do 
to deserve what I have? What, what, what unfolded? What, what was unpacked inside of my life? Why is it that I hear all of these people going by and they are not dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with? What caused this to happen in my life? And I'm sure that there are moments in which he says, this is not fair. How about you? Hey, you have any hard places in life that you're still trying to figure out a little bit? You have any wounds that you are carrying? Any difficult places? Any unfair circumstances that you are still trying to unpack for yourself and say, why is it that I'm dealing with the things that I'm dealing with? Why do I have to carry this stuff? Well, this morning... I have good news for you. This morning I have great news for you. And that news is that the broken, hard places in life, the broken, hard places in life can become places of strength and spiritual aliveness. The broken, hard places in life can become places of strength and spiritual vitality and aliveness. Now, I want you to know that I mean that. I want you to know that I believe that. I want you to know that even though across this room there may be more brokenness than any of us can imagine, there, there may be more pain and difficulty and hardship and wounds and abuse than anyone else in this room knows about, including myself. And so when I say this, I do not say this just across the top at all, just across the, the, the surface, but, but, but I say this, even knowing that there are deeper things in the room than I likely know about that the broken, hard places can become places of strength and spiritual aliveness. You see, I say this not because in any way do I want to minimize some of the difficulties that you have faced or you are facing or might be in the middle of facing, but what I want to do is I want to maximize the power and transformation that happens with Jesus. In no way do I want to say, oh, what you're dealing with is no big deal. It'll just go away in, in no time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as deep and as difficult as some of the things that you are facing, have faced, and will face are, he is deeper and he is stronger. The bigness of our hurt and pain means that we require a big God. And I want you to know that we have a big God. So I say to you that the broken and the hard places in life can become places of strength and even to the place of being spiritual aliveness in your own hearts and lives. Now, before we dig into the broken and the hard places this morning, we, we, we do need to circle back just for a moment. This miracle that Jesus performs... <laughs> You know what day of the week it is? It's the Sabbath. Again. 
It's almost as though Jesus rests for six days and he works on the Sabbath. It is like he's flipped the whole thing upside down. But why is it that he keeps showing up on the Sabbath and why does he keep just kind of poking this question of controversy? The people are getting so mad at him because he's doing these miracles on the Sabbath. Why constantly on the Sabbath? I think one of the reasons is because Jesus is trying to break up the ground. There, there is just hardness that's across the land. They have been doing the same routines and the same things and expecting the same things for so long that Jesus has to show up and say, this is a different day than it's ever been before. And so he comes to break up that ground. I think that Jesus uses and focuses the Sabbath as his day of some of his biggest miracles because he wants to push back against rule keeping and against legalism. That the Sabbath seems to just draw of this, here's a checklist of things that you can follow. And I think that Jesus works so much on the Sabbath because in contrast to rule keeping and legalism, what he wants to do is he wants you to know that real faith, real religion, is a relationship with God. It is not just this list of do's and don'ts. And so since the Sabbath was this most physical of the do's and mostly the don'ts, Jesus wants to break that up so he can push them to relationship to something that is much deeper than just the list of do's and don'ts. You see, I think that there is a trap in our own mind and experience that is both drawn to the rule keeping and to the legalism. Well, we're drawn to it because it's so measurable, so easy to see that we just kind of figure, if, if I can work my way up the list, it'll be good. And Jesus says it's not about working up the list. And in fact, sometimes not only are we dealing with that in our own hearts, has to keep coming back to this central rule of this is the Sabbath, we don't do these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus, don't you understand there's things that are deeper than the Sabbath? So that's the reason why Jesus keeps coming back <laughs> and showing up on the Sabbath. So as we come back, though, to these broken and hard places, I want you to see some things in this miracle and in this interaction that he has with this man. And I want you to see that Jesus teaches us and shows us that the broken and hard places can become a place where the glory of God is revealed. The broken and the hard places reveal the glory of God. Now, the whole passage begins with this whole relationship between sin and and sickness, between sin and some of the hard places that are in our life. And so when they look at this man and they see the hardship that he has, and I think a lot of the disciples say, man, I'm glad I'm not this guy. Why did this happen to him? Is it because of his sin or is it because of his parents' sin? And so we have to unpack that just for a moment. And, and, and here are some things that, that we know are true. There is a blessing of obedience to God. Your life is stronger when you are obedient to the laws of God. That is true. I would also tell you that there is often a consequence to our sin and disobedience. 
There is a strength and when we will walk in the path that God has given to us, our lives will be stronger. I promise that's true. And I will also tell you that when we walk in a path that's outside of what he wants for our lives, there are consequences. Sometimes they're immediate. Sometimes they're cumulative. Sometimes they're delayed. But if you walk outside of the pattern that God has given to you, there is consequence to that. I will even tell you that there is a generational impact on our obedience and disobedience. This is one of the things that's kind of hard for us to unpack sometimes, but I will tell you that some of the blessings that we receive from our obedience not only spill over our life, but they spill over the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Scripture teaches us that truth. And there's also a reality that sometimes some of the dumb, knuckle-headed disobedience that we commit not only do we experience the consequence of that sin, but sometimes the people that are closest to us that we love the most experience those consequences. Sometimes it's our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids. Without raising your hand, anyone ever seen that unfold and get unpacked in a family where it just kind of trickles down? I, I will tell you that I, I know that it's happening in my family. <laughs> Not because we've got this incredible stuff that's way out of whack. But I can tell you that Susan and I have messed up some stuff over the years. And our kids feel that. And their kids will feel some of those things. And I hope that what they feel is the blessings. So these three things are true. That there are blessings for our obedience. There are consequences for our disobedience. And sometimes those blessings and consequences roll down to generations. But Jesus is also going to tell us there's more than meets the eye. Do you remember from your middle school biology classes? I had to look this up because I got to apologize to Mr. Stevenson. I don't remember all of it. But do you remember the, the theory of spontaneous generation? The, the theory of spontaneous generation was that really that there were things that just kind of looked like they were next to each other, so we assumed that they were connected. Some of the examples that they, they give is that there's the example that, that uh, rotting meat creates maggots. Some of the examples they give is that a dusty place creates fleas. Uh, some of the other examples was like moldy wheat or bread that was stuck in the dark someplace creates mice. It was... Living things would come from non-living things. The reason why that came is because they would see those two things next to each other. And because they were so close to each other, they said one must cause the other. But what happens is we got microscopes and we began to dig in deeper and we began, oh wait, there's a whole other plane here that we're not seeing. Sometimes we can make the mistake that the disciples were making in this moment and saying, because I see his blindness, I have to assume that right next to that blindness is some sin. It's either his sin or his parents' sin. And what Jesus says is, oh, no, 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 you, you've misunderstood. But what's happened to this man is not because of his sin and it's not because of his parents' sin, but he says it is so that the glory of God can be revealed in his life. You see, they just put sin and sickness together and said, oh, that must be it. God says, oh, no. 
Sometimes you're only seeing the surface. Sometimes you're, you're making an assumption about two things that are next to each other. And what I want you to know is that God is working bigger things all of the time. And in this case, this man was blind so that he could say and tell the story of how Jesus came and moved him from blindness to sight. And the glory of God would be spoken of almost 2,000 years later because of what hard thing this man had gone through. Now, I haven't shopped for a diamond in quite some time. But if I remember, when, when you want to see a diamond, they want to show that to you. That the thing that they don't just bring out the ring, they don't just bring out the stone, and they don't just put it in your hand. But what they do is they lay out this black velvet or felt or black some cloth. And then they lay that diamond there because they believe it is against the backdrop of that darkness. It is against the backdrop of that, of that fabric that you're really going to be able to see the glory of that stone. I want you to think about some of the great miracles of God's word. I want you to think about the time that Moses parts the water and they walk through on dry land. You know what the cloth behind that is? It's that they were about to drown because the Egyptian army was going to push them in to the Red Sea. I want you to think about the time that David has his great victory. Do you know why David has that great victory? Because there was a giant who had been terrorizing the land. I want you to think about Daniel in the lion's den, and he gets to tell the story about the time that he spent the night with these lions. Well, that happens because some people had conspired against Daniel and thrown him into that den. And at the beginning of that night, Daniel does not know that God has sealed those lions' mouths shut. You see, it's against the backdrop of some of those hard and difficult places that the glory of God is revealed. And for the rest of this man's life, he gets to introduce himself as... I used to be blind, and then I met Jesus. I want you to know that there's some things in your life that are hard and they are difficult, but they also can reveal the glory, the power, the provision, the love, the grace of God. Again, that does not minimize how hard those things are or were or will be, but it says it is the context in which the glory, the power, the love, the grace of God is going to be revealed profoundly. I would also tell you that the broken and hard places give opportunity for testimony. The broken and the hard places give opportunity for testimony. Now, I love John chapter 9. It is written in a way that we have some of the most moment-by-moment -moment dialogue of an extended period of time of any of the miracles that we have. I mean, it's the whole chapter is just this conversation about Jesus healing this man. And there's almost a little bit of comicalness to it. The man gets healed. He was blind, but now he can see. He goes down to the pool, and he washes the mud out of, out of his eyes, and he comes back to seeing, and then he runs into everybody that he, uh, well, so to speak, sees, and he tells them, I used to be blind, I can see. And, and, and there's such a transformation in his life, 
moving from being a person who is unsighted to a person who is sighted, that the people who have been walking past him, the people who have known him his entire life, can't debate whether it's the same person or not anymore. Some people say, hey, I think that's the guy that used to be the beggar over there that was blind. But well, no, that can't be him. He, he, he can see now. He, he wouldn't go from being blind to seeing, and there's this debate. And in fact, I, I love this debate and say, hey, is that the guy from the side of the road? And people, no, it just looks like him. It's probably not really him. It's a case of mistaken identity. It's not him. And again, the guy's like, I'm right here. He says, it is me. I am that guy. And there's this debate. And so when they finally determine, I like this part, that they finally determine it's the same guy, they're like, well, maybe he's been faking blindness for, blindness for the last 30 years. And they call in his parents, and they say, has he really been blind the whole time? Or is this really your kid? And, and, and they have to answer that. And so there's all of this discussion about this. But in the middle of this, this man speaks so clearly about Jesus. In fact, you can almost contrast this with the man that was the disabled man that had been disabled for 38 years that, that was by the other pool in John chapter 5 who after he got got healed, he just kind of shrugs and says, well, I don't know. And, and, and then when the people are like, well, well, you tell us if you find Jesus because we're out to get him. And they're like, oh, he's over there. And, and it just, I don't know about, I'm still confused about the guy in John chapter five. But here, he, he says, it was Jesus. It was Jesus that healed me. And every time they ask questions, he just says, listen, I, I don't know about all of your debates. He says, but I can tell you, that I used to be blind and now I can see. And it happened because Jesus changed my life. It happened because Jesus took mud and put it on my eyes and he transformed me and he healed me. And every single person that asks him about it, he says it was Jesus. And now basically that entire section of town is talking about this miracle that Jesus did. Now we're gonna see in just a few moments, this guy doesn't know everything. And this guy doesn't even know a ton. But he knows, I was blind, but now I see. And Jesus is the one who changed me. Now, he says it loud and he says it clear. Back in John chapter 7, it tells us that very few people that would say that they were interested in Jesus because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders would punish them for their belief. Even in this chapter, his parents kind of clam up and throw him under the bus and say, listen, he, he can answer his own questions. He, he can, he, he's a grown-up. He, he can answer this because they didn't want to go on the line, on the record that Jesus had healed him. So he's out there all by himself. But he tells the story and he tells the story. And because of the hardness and the broken places that he had experienced in his life, and because people knew the hard things that he had gone through, people listened to him in a way that they didn't listen to other people. Because his story was real. His story had texture. His story was profound. Again, he doesn't know a ton. 
They can say, I was blind, but now I see because Jesus changed my life. I want you to know that if Jesus has changed your life, you have a story to tell. It may be dramatic, it may be profound, it may be simple, but you have a story to tell about Jesus. And I will tell you that sometimes it is the broken and the hard things that we have faced and that we have walked through that will cause people to listen to your Jesus story. It gives weight and profoundness and strength. And when it's time for you to tell that story and say, this is the thing that I walked through. It was dark. It was hard. And I didn't know that I'd make it. Jesus showed up. Let me tell you, when you tell one of those stories, the people in the cubicles around you will lean in and they will listen. The people in your life are looking for a person who can transform the hard things that they are facing in life. The hard and broken things are the foundation for a testimony. And then I want you to know that the hard, the broken hard places, the broken hard places are the grounds and the opportunity for greater belief. As I've mentioned, this guy didn't go to school. This guy didn't know a lot. In fact, when they, when they ask him, well, what do you think of Jesus? He says, well, I guess he's a prophet. Now, when he says he's a prophet, he says he's from God. And, and, and he's really built this entire argument. Say, listen, you can say he's not from God, but listen, the only person who can heal like this is someone who's from God, and so therefore I'm going to tell you that he is from God. Now, this is basically the same kind of statement that Nicodemus came to Jesus with in John chapter 3. And at that point in time, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you, you only understand this much of it. And so this person doesn't understand all of this. And he meets up with Jesus again. Jesus looks him out after he's been kicked out of the synagogue, looks him up and, and wants to do a follow-up with, with him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah, the one that is the promised one that's going to come and change everything? And the man says, well, if you show him to me, I'll believe. And Jesus, and I think there's a great play of words here. You see him now. And at that point, he believes that Jesus is the Son of Man. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he has progressed through this hard place from not knowing anything to knowing a little bit to now believing the whole ball of wax. He believes all of it. And he could not have come to that belief if it wasn't walking through some broken and hard places inside of his life. Now listen, I don't know where you are on that journey. I don't know where you are on the journey of believing. Maybe, maybe all the pieces haven't clicked into place for you. But what I like about this guy is that that. He believed to the point that he understood. 
He understood that Jesus must be from God or else he couldn't have done the miracles that he did. And so he said, oh, he's a prophet. He, he believes as far as he knows. And then when it comes time that he meets with Jesus and Jesus reveals himself to him and says, I am that guy. I am the Messiah. He believes. You see, that's one of the obligations that every one of us has is that whatever point has been revealed to us, will you believe that far? You see, we have said week after week, the gospel of John is about believing. I had a conversation with someone this week. It was, you know, basically we were, we were cutting up and uh, somebody was talking about doing a favor for our church and they said, well, they would, they would do it uh, if, if we could promise that they would go to heaven. I said, sure, that's a deal. No, that's not what we can do. But it didn't make me thinking. If you knew that you could go to heaven by a certain cash contribution, maybe it's a sliding scale, maybe it's a certain amount you got to save up and you got to, but, but if there were a certain amount, you give this amount, then you get to go to heaven. it'd probably be worth the deal. I mean, the presence of God living inside of you, you living the presence of God, you having eternal security for everything, your sins being forgiven, all it's going to take is a cash contribution. You'd, you'd be dumb not to do that. But that's not what Jesus asks for. Well, what if what, if what God asks for was a certain number of spiritual merit badges. He says, listen, I need you to do this many good deeds. I need you to forgive this many people. I need you to show up in church this percentage of time. I need you to do these acts of kindness for, for these number of things. And, and, and here's the point system. If you do these things, then you're in and you're good to go. Well, if that's what was explained, if that was what was presented, and in exchange for doing enough good things that you'd have the presence of God living inside of you, that you'd have an eternal destiny where you could live in the presence of God yourself, your sins would be forgiven, you'd have eternal security, all it would take is just do this number of good things. Well, you'd be dumb not to do that. Do the good things. That's, that's what's required of you. But, but that's not what God has put in front of us. What he's put in front of us is believe. Believe. And if you would have considered writing the check or working the to-do list, but you don't consider believing. Why not believe? It is what he puts on the table. He says, here's what it takes. Believe in me. Now, what does he mean by believe in me? Oh, it's strong. It's not, sure, I believe in you. 
It is bet your life on me. Put the whole weight of your life on me. Put your life under his grace and your life under his authority and your future and your past and your right now in his hands and say, I believe that this is the best path for my life and live like that's true.